Hello everyone, Alan Mister here from Vitality Explorer News. And as always, we start Vitality Explorer News with a quote, and this one is from Marie Curie, okay? And her quote is, the new sights of nature made me rejoice like a child. The new sights of nature made me rejoice like a child. So as always on Vitality Explorer News, we try to explore two or three topics per week. This is a little bit new here because we're going to do a simulcast on YouTube. And this week we're going to talk a little bit about the Hawk Hill hike, Hawk Hill hike that I took, and why nature is valuable for your both your mental and your physical well-being. And the second thing we'll talk about is how stress is scientifically related to low back pain. And the final thing we're going to go uh, into a little bit is how to metabolize um, uncertainty into action. So if you're enjoying Vitality Explorer News, I would encourage you to subscribe to it on your favorite podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also see the Vitality Explorer News Substack site online and uh, subscribe to the Vitality Explorer News text message newsletter via vitalityexplorers.com to enhance your physical, mental, social, and or spiritual well-being. So this week I'm really fired up because I got a chance to take a little break and take an amazing hike. I've lived in the Bay Area for a long time and one of my favorite places on the planet is the Marin Headlands. Now I used to be able to drive up past the Golden Gate Bridge and uh, drive to these lookout points over the, uh, over the Golden Gate. They sort of turned it into a one-way street now and when I got there I was expecting to be able to drive up there. I didn't want to go all the way around. But at the base of the North Tower of the Golden Gate Bridge was a small parking lot. And fortunately, I got there early enough where there was a space available. And then I looked and I said, okay, how far is it to the Hawk Hill Peak, which was looked like it was quite far. Well, almost 1.8, 1.9 miles. If you take a few detours, it's about a four-mile round-trip hike. And I thought, wow, I actually have time. I think I can do that today and uh, grabbed a little water bottle and set off uh, on this gorgeous hike that finishes about 900 feet above the Golden Gate and looks back and, and, and over it. And I'll, I'll post some pictures of this here on the video as well as on the Substack site. So the Golden Gate um, Bridge, of course, is gorgeous. The Marin Headlands, looking back over the Golden Gate Bridge, is even more beautiful because you get to look out at the Pacific Ocean, you get to look back at San Francisco, and what I wanted to explore in this particular part of the, the Vitality Explorer news is the combination of why getting outside in nature is valuable for your physical and mental well-being, just personally, but also from the scientific perspective. So as we go through this, I'll read a little bit of the studies that are involved. But this particular hike, the Hawk Hill hike, is amazing because there are um, you know, these big raptor birds like hawks, and sometimes you can see even falcons out there. And it has a lot of history as well. Um, the uh, Marin Headlands used to be an area which was heavily fortified during World War II with artil uh, artillery, batteries, and even in the Cold War had these uh, radar stations on the top there because it juts out from the bay into the Pacific Ocean and is strategically quite uh, important. But now it's a nature preserve and it's simply amazing and there's also some blue butterflies uh, out there which I was on the, on the lookout for. Um, now when we, when we talk about getting out into nature why is it valuable? 
Um, like we try to do on Vitality Explorer News, well, let's lean into the data. And I've got three studies to go over today. The first study was done in college students and the college students had three interventions for, for this particular study. And again, you can look at the Substack site or put it in the show notes below where the references are. But you either did a walk in nature, you viewed some sort of nature program on a screen, like a television screen or computer screen, or you were doing some walking on a treadmill. So all three of them were interventions, but the walking in nature was, was really interestingly better at reducing your overall cortisol and improving your mood. And here's a quote for the paper, which I'll read. Quote, all interventions had restorative effects on cortisol levels, yet walking in nature resulted in lower uh, cortisol levels than did viewing nature during the exam period. And walking in nature improved mood more than walking in uh, nature scenes or physical exercise alone. That's pretty cool, right? So walking in nature is a way to decrease your, your cortisol, which is a stress-related hormone. It can also improve your mood. And that's better than watching it on t something on TV or taking a, a walk on an exercise treadmill. So that's a pretty interesting study for the young people in college out there. Uh, just get out to your as close as you can to either an urban uh, garden area or a, a walk or a hike in the woods. The second paper found that nature, uh, getting out in nature once or more per week was associated with overall better health, okay? The paper also found that being connected to nature was related uh, to our overall well-being. Now, we, we forget that we spend uh, 80 or 90% of our time inside, but even if it's not perfect outside, whether it's too hot, too cold, um, try to get out there somewhere because the value of being out in nature is pretty powerful. When we look at the third study associated with this, um, this was really a, a cool one, which was like, I was going to do a post of, about this one alone, but it sent me down this rabbit hole of why is nature valuable? And this had to do with the sounds of nature. And the study looked at wildlife and bird songs and things like that, as well as underwater, a variety of different types of sound, natural sounds, to see if they were restorative for, for your overall well-being, your, specifically your psychological well-being. And there's a graph that I'll try to post in here or put on the Substack site. And there was, this was done in the United Kingdom. And so I don't, know, I don't think they have a rainforest in the United Kingdom, but that was one of them. Uh, second is UK woodland, the UK coastal, UK rural, rural. And the fifth was underwater. And it's interesting that the, 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 the rainforest version of, of exposure to nature was the best. And these were just sounds, okay? So this is the exposure to the sounds. This isn't, um, you know, going into a rainforest, but being exposed to the sounds. So if you're, if you're looking for the sound that looks like it might be the best to restore your overall uh, mental well-being, it might be listening to the rainforest on a sound app, at least according to this study. Back to the, back to the hike. So, so the hike starts out in this parking lot it goes up towards this uh, old World War II battery. You can look over the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. You can tell I'm like a little bit like a kid in a candy store with a credit card because this is literally one of my favorite places on the planet. And again, this picture you can see looking back at San Francisco and I was really blessed with a pretty clear day. So you can see the, the pictures that I'll show you either here or on the Substack site are pretty amazing. Um, and then as you get, get up there, you're following this road uh, kind of relentlessly uphill. I would call it a moderate hike. It's a little dusty. It's not, you know, perfect, but the vistas are insane. 
So to your right are, are these hills where there's hawks and other uh, birds flying around. To your left is the inlet to the Pacific Ocean from the San Francisco Bay. And when you get further, further towards the top, uh, there's a tunnel that you go through, which is kind of cool. And then you come around and you go all the way up to this sort of point, which they call Hawk Hill. And then you get, get to look back. And when I looked back, uh, this, at least on this particular hike, what I saw were two things were kind of cool. There was a huge sort of tanker, tanker um, boat that was coming through the Bay Bridge, or excuse me, underneath the Golden Gate Bridge and a few sailboats. And again, the pictures are there. And I paused at the top. I thought about it. Again, this is sort of insider trading because I love this, this part of the planet and it's only about 45 minutes from where I live. But I was so at peace when I was out there. And then before I knew it, I turned around, hiked all the way back down, uh, took paused a few times to take a bunch of pictures, but I was in search of that that rare blue butterfly. And at the very, very end, I, I found the blue butter, butterfly. Again, here's the picture of the blue butterfly. Um, but what it, what it amounted to is um, getting out there. I hiked for two and a half hours and it felt like 20 minutes. And I got to tell you, it was rigorous, physically challenging, but both physically and mentally, I was much better after this hike. So what I, what I would recommend people consider for their overall well-being is just to get out in nature. The data really, really suggests it's valuable. And even if you can't get out into nature, try to get out there or try to turn on an app or a te television program that has some, some sort of natural uh, phenomenon going on and listen to it or watch it because even that seems to be good for your overall well-being. And again, the cost of kind of doing these kind of things approaches zero, depending on where you are. Now, obviously, I'm a little lucky to be here, but almost anywhere on the planet, we can find something hopefully green or something something interesting in nature to listen to. And this is especially in the context of the second thing I want to talk about today, and that is the um, is is really the context of something that very you know large percentage of people suffer from low back pain. Uh, it's really kind of staggering what the stats are on, on low back pain. Uh, but what we're going to discuss is how stress and back pain are scientifically related. Um, I unfortunately have had low back pain for many, many years. Um, and, and it's just in the context of something that's very common worldwide. The data suggests that there's 540 million people worldwide that are affected by what they call activity limiting low back pain during of the year. That's that's a huge number, right? So it's a it's a massive worldwide problem, um, and and often we forget that our our psychological stress can be associated with it. And what I wanted to explore for myself and for for the Vitality Explorer News here is what is the data behind that? Because honestly, I haven't looked it up, haven't really studied it. Even though I'm an orthopedic surgeon, even though I've had a herniated disc in my low back and had to have surgery on it. And even though I've struggled with low back pain for a long time. So here, here are the sort of uh, takeaways from a study that you was, which you can see on the uh, Substack site. References again, and references will be put in the show notes here, um, is that work-related stress defined sort of as overcommitment and excessive demands, social stress, which is chronic worrying and or social overload. I'm not 100% sure what social overload is. Um, and then life events. All three of those can be related to low back pain. Uh, and they play a role in predicting upcoming events, uh, up, upcoming episodes, shall I say, of low back pain. And so it's really kind of interesting if you sort of take a survey 
of if you've had low back pain in your in your head and then you think backwards and you say well what's happened over the course of the last month or two and i did this myself because uh, this summer i had some moderate low back pain over a period of a month or so and i'm like wow what's going on here and then i could tie it back to some of these things we're going to talk about um, and i think the idea that in either work or, or home stress or life events are associated with low back pain isn't it's kind of logical but it's also staggering, right? So I've been trained to think of the ligaments, the discs, the back, the, the bones, the muscles, um, even the, the you know tightness around your lower hamstrings, or excuse me, your upper hamstrings that can lead to the low back pain. And that's where we then aim for our, our treatments. So, you know, obviously they can have structural things like that, that that are causing the low back pain, but most physicians and most orthopedic surgeons just do not know because we're not you know, that savvy about it, that this is also clearly associated with other things. So I think it has implications for how we, we treat it because before going into invasive treatments such as injections or surgery, trying to figure out what are the other things that are contributing to your lower back pain um, are, are important to, to, to figure out. So um, I think this is, again, disclaimer on this, this is not medical advice, please seek your own a physician's opinion about what to do and if you have anything urgent or emerging go to your nearest emergency room but our goal with this and with vitality explorer news is to educate ourselves on the science the peer-reviewed published data about what's going on to help us enhance our vitality um, and so so what we should do just for a second here is dive into how does stress increase our risk of low back pain and the re re reality is it's related to something called neurotransmitters so when you have stress in your in your life um, hormones are released from our sympathetic nervous system and other parts of our brain and our body that are complex messengers okay and these are complex they have big names like norepinephrine acetylcholine and glutamate okay there are other many many others but they can affect um, pain receptors at the spinal cord level and that can contribute to our perception of it so it may not directly be related to it, it could be indirectly related to it um, in terms of what's contributing it. And, and I would suggest that you look at the Vitality Explorer News Substack site for the graphs. They're a little too hard to embed in the video, but you can see the references in the graphs uh, and the data that are associated with this. The other thing that we you know, kind of discount is the idea that life events can contribute to our physical um, difficulties, our challenges. And there's, there's a whole list of them. And this is just, there's many lists of them actually, but here's one that I wanted to kind of just rank order coming down in terms of what can cause stress in your, in your life. Unfortunately, many of us are gonna recognize that over the last two years, especially in the context of COVID, that these are common. So here they are. Number one, becoming disabled or incapacitated. Number two, loss of self. Number three, loss of independence. Four, loss of identity. Number five is dependent on others for basic subsistence. Number six is dependent on others for personal care or maintenance. Number seven, loss of determination and self-sufficiency. Number eight, loss of personal mobility, obviously associated with low back pain. Number nine is loss of previous capacities or capabilities. So as you maybe get older or if you had an injury or some other event, uh, number 10 is sexual problems. Number 11 is infidelity. Number 12 is divorce or separation. Number 13 is change in closeness with spouse or partner. I would also um, 
you know, comma, friends, because we've lost a lot of contact with our friends over the last few years due to the, the COVID. And number 14, interestingly, is reconciling with uh, a partner. Number eight is ongoing conflict with the present spouse or partner. Number, uh, excuse me, that's number 15. Number 16 was conflict with parents, siblings, or other family members. That never happens. Uh, number 17 is problems with a former spouse or partner. Number 18 is social isolation, which has been epidemic, right? So almost all of us can check that box. Number 19, closely related, is change in social activities. And number 20 is family turmoil. So there's some, some overlap in some of those, but you get the point that these life events and there are many, many other life events, you know, serious health issues, you know, uh, that, that can really impact your, uh, even if it's not yours, somebody else's serious health issue can lead to your stress. So when we've had these in the past two years, um, I think we can understand why there's been more people who've had uh, lower back pain and other, other uh, maladies that can result in pain sort of syndromes. So the recommendations I have for this are two. Number one is to understand that work and social stress are associated with low back pain and that addressing them, sort of trying to mitigate them, is a treatment strategy. And it's also important as a prevention strategy. So if you are a sufferer from lower back pain or chronic low back pain, um, trying to understand what are the things in your life that are, that are causing it to try to get rid of that or, or even prevent it from happening. Um, and know that science, the scientifically based studies have found that these do correlate. Um, let's see here, what else we, we wanna talk about with regard to this? So I think this is a complex topic, right? So this isn't some sort of definitive post about you know, stress equals low back pain, but I think it's part of this continuum of how do we stay as vital as we possibly can in the context of what's going on in our lives. And, and I hope that this post and the previous one about where we were you know, talking about taking the uh, walk, or excuse me, the hike to Hawk Hill and being out in nature uh, was valuable. We're going to finish up this week talking about something uh, related to the idea of metabolizing adversity into action. So again, they're very closely related here. Um, and who hasn't had any adversity in the last year or two? I think that would be approaching zero. But when we think about adversity in the context of trying to be vital, how do we do? How do we deal with it? So some people, when they when they experience adversity, they recoil. They just want to get away from it. Second is they can overreact, okay, and ask why me. Um, try to you know fall into the victimhood part of it. The third one I think is incredibly common is that many, many of us are just allergic to any form of, of adversity. So even small things can result in an overreaction. And then some people actually choose a different path. Uh, and I want to explore that for just a few minutes because I think a lot of us think that adversity is something we're trying to avoid, myself included. I try to, try to figure out, I don't want any more adversity in my life, but guess what? That is part of life. Adversity is part of life. And if we try to quarantine ourselves from it, we're going to fail. We actually need to come up with a strategy on how to deal with adversity in challenging times. And so here's my suggestion. This is the sort of Vitality Explorer suggestion about how to deal with adversity. And that is try to metabolize adversity into action. All right. So also categorizing it to start is important. When you think about adversity, some people think just getting stuck in traffic. I do this because there's a lot of traffic in the Bay Area that it's an adverse event. And even on my, my uh, drive to go to Hawk Hill 
the Hawk Hill hike yesterday. It was amazingly uh, difficult to get through San Francisco from the traffic. And I started my, I could see my stress level rising. And then on the way back, I'm kind of thinking, wow, was I really whining about it? Because it really wasn't that bad. It was really not a severe form of adversity. But at the time, boy, did I think it was bad. So getting a cancer diagnosis is, is a real form of adversity, but most adversity sort of falls between those two, right? You know, it's not getting stuck in traffic. It's not getting a cancer diagnosis. It's this gigantic gray zone of, of, of things that can happen in our lives that are associated with the concept of adversity. So here's a couple thoughts. Number one is if I'm having an extraordinarily bad day, I have found as I tracked it over, over many, many years that the next day is typically better. Now, the next day, of course, can be worse, but it's sort of the, the idea of reversion to the mean. So if the day is bad, if you're having a really, really bad day, try to just get through the day because tomorrow's probably going to be better. I don't, know, I, I don't know for sure if this is statistically provable or not. Um, but if, it's, if it really is bad, it's still bad the next day. The second thing is to try to figure out what the root cause of that. We're gonna, we're gonna go into that in a few specific suggestions, but the, uh, that's one of them. But instead of just no action after that first 24 hours, if it's not a big, big deal, is to try to metabolize that adversity into action. And the first one I suggested there is to identify the root cause of the adversity. So let's take that traffic analogy. Maybe you have to travel at a different time or take a different route. Uh, maybe you take public transportation. Maybe you just you know, take an Uber or something if you can, because you can't stand being stuck in traffic. Um, the second one is to try to connect with a friend or a family member to seek their advice about the adversity. You know, some, some trusted person that you know to talk about it, um, because that can be very helpful. The third is, is, this is gonna sound kind of snarky, but is to embrace adversity. Because guess what? When we go through adversity, when we have difficult times, that's a way to enhance your resilience. So surviving difficult times can increase our toughness and knowing the, at the other end that there's some light, that will be very helpful. The fourth is to, is, excuse me, yeah, the fourth, I'm just reading a little bit here of my own notes. The fourth is to read, read, and then read some more about whatever the problem may be. Read about it, listen to a podcast, listen to an audiobook. just try to get your arms around whatever the problem may be because we have lots of resources available to us now. And the final is, is to use adversity to uncover opportunity. So when you try to do that, you know, bad times sometimes lead us into good times. So look for the, look for the silver lining. And at some point, that adversity may be something you would be very thankful for. So thank you for listening to this week's Vitality Explorer News. Um, I really enjoy doing it. I really in, uh, enjoy uh, producing it. I'm trying to in increase the production value here and, and, and adding it to YouTube. And if you're enjoying it, please push the subscribe button below. You can also subscribe to Vitality Explorer News text message at vitalityexplorers.com. And until next time, get out there and dare to be vital.